This podcast is brought to you by the Canadian Bureau for International Education. CBIE is the national voice advancing Canadian international education by creating and mobilizing expertise, knowledge, opportunity, and leadership. We are a global leader in international education dedicated to equity, quality, inclusiveness, and partnership. This podcast is intended to elevate the voices of international students, scholars, and researchers that pursued education in Canada under a government-funded scholarship program. This space is intended to deepen the discussion and amplify the reach on the importance of internationalization. In each episode, you will hear directly from alumni about their work and research and the impact that studying in Canada has had on their personal and professional life. In this episode, we will hear from alumni of the African Leaders of Tomorrow Scholarship Program, a program generously funded by the Government of Canada through Global Affairs Canada and the MasterCard Foundation. Before we begin today, I want to take a moment to recognize that CBIE is located on the traditional and unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe. We acknowledge and pay tribute to all Indigenous peoples who live either in the Ottawa region or elsewhere in Canada and beyond. We honor their courageous leaders of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Welcome to the CBIE Audio Alumni Podcast. I'm Beatrice Ella Ebeng, and today I'm joined by Elizabeth Kashala, an alumni of the African Leaders for Tomorrow Scholarship Program. This program is funded by the Canadian government through Global Affairs Canada and the MasterCard Foundation. Elizabeth, you have a master's degree in public policy and administration from the University of Ryerson, Toronto. You are currently working in Namibia, and we will have a discussion about finance and auditing. How are you today? I'm fine, Beatrice. How are you today? I'm very good, thank you. It's nice to talk to you today and to, to meet up again. My first question for you, Elizabeth, and your beautiful journey uh, will be as how did you get to become an auditor after studying in public policy and administration? All right, Beatrice. I actually became an auditor after I studied an undergraduate mm-hmm. program that is in public management, right? Uh-huh. So the public policy and administration um, came after I was already an auditor. All right. So yeah. I became an, yeah. So I, I became an, an, an auditor, um, of course, a performance auditor. I, I think we should be very specific because um, auditor to many people um, would mean finan- fi- financial auditing, but yes. I worked as a performance auditor more of a research-based um, auditing. So that is based on social economic issues that is facing Namibia as a country and what 
government in, in, through its institutions, these are our government ministries, agencies are doing to actually address these social, economic, and environmental issues that is, that is facing the, the country. Mm-hmm. So having a, a background in research, I think that, and research and of course, social science, because public management is, um, it's a discipline within uh, the social science uh, field. I, I think that was quite um, instrumental um, in me getting uh, the position of a performance auditor. Okay. So, Elizabeth, I know that you, like you were just saying, you were a um, performance auditor in the office of the Auditor General in Namibia, and that's quite a big role to play. And we are always so fascinated by how auditing is more than finance. And it also takes like all of the other pieces, maybe in evaluation and performance. My question here will be, how do you support your community as an auditor? How is it possible to tangibly help the community in which you are as a performance auditor, knowing that you were in such a high level uh, position? All right, Beatrice. So um, to to answer the question, um, and that's very very important because I think every every position or role that one takes on should have a tangible impact. Yes. Um, in the community, right? So as as a performance audit, I think I'll take you a little bit back. Um, I also took on a role of an environmental auditor. Maybe I would explain this to you. So it's the same environmental auditing and performance auditing. It's just that now with environmental auditing is specially focused on environmental issues. So one, one key thing that I would like to highlight, and for me, it serves as my sort of connections um, with the community is um, a report that I did in 2000 and, um, 2018, if I'm not wrong. So this environmental audit report um, was actually tabled in our national, um, national parliament. It was a, a report on the management of coastal areas um, in Namibia, which also um, formed part of a collaboration with other African countries that had or that have coastal lines. So these are other African countries that have a coastal line. So the purpose of this particular project was really to to, to really evaluate the measures that various governments that were collaborating on that project were putting in place to make sure that they preserve and they protect the lives of the population, um, especially those living along the coastal lines. So this uh, project um, really uh, exposed me to um, a wide range of um, environmental um, issues, especially uh, when it comes to coastal and marine pollution. And the report was so significant and very instrumental because it actually serves as a gateway through which my government actually subscribed to the Marine Pollution Treaty in 2019. So for me, that is an achievement that I celebrate today and I, and I look at it as, as a tangible yeah, impact that I've made um, in, com- in the community because 
I was able to hold my government accountable and um, to challenge them to do more, right? And that was now by means of entering in, into this treaty that the government has to comply with, right? So the, the government has to, com to comply with this treaty to make sure that, you know, the, 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 the curb issues of marine pollution and degradation along um, the coastal lines. It's amazing how, um, again, for someone who is in this place of being an auditor, how you've created an actual piece of work that has already impacted lives of people living in the, co in the coast of, of the country and how being an auditor, in an environmentalist auditor has had such a positive impact in the community. But not only that, you've also had the opportunity to collaborate with other countries, meaning that expanding your work to other communities as well. So how does one goes about thinking, because what, what you've worked on, uh, that, that report, were you just writing it for sp specifically the Namibian, um, the people from Namibia, or were you thinking more in terms of the continent? We had to issue two types of report, right? One was country specific. That is now the one that we submitted to our government pertaining to the unique issues in Namibia, right? Okay. And then we had now the collaborative report, which is, um, of course, part of research um, under the AFROCIE, which is the African Organization for Supreme Audit Institutions. Now, that collaborative report looks at now common issues that these African countries, and of course, similarities that these African countries, you know, have in common. And of course, as I said, the similarity. So yes, it was um, country specific to Namibia, and it was also um, at, you know, at the level of, of the continent, right? Looking at what is that that these countries shares, or what are these, what are some of the issues that the population living across, along the coastal lines of these countries are sharing, and what are some of the problems, and what are some of the recommendations or solutions that Africa can take, you know, can collaborate as a whole to really curb some of these um, negative impacts. Now, we are talking about how. The Namibian, also for people who may not know, the Namibian, um, and maybe uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Namibia is one of the countries where the parliament is um, fairly represented by younger people. Men and women are kind of, I think, equally represented. All right. So, parliament in my country is mostly um, uh, dominated by older generations. So, it's not really yes. a youthful parliament. Mm -hmm. But it is one that has really done extensively in terms of women representation. So we have, yes, yeah, we, we have um, around a 40, I don't know, the quiet figures with mm -hmm. me, uh, but we have a, a, a very good representation in terms of, of women. Yeah. Yes. So I remember something like that about Namibia having a very good representation of women in the parliament. 
I know that the the work with your report and even your you being an environmentalist uh, auditor is kind of mostly high level contribution um, because it touches to policies and higher level projects. But my question, my question for you will be: How do you support your community in terms of actual work? Um, maybe. Do you support them? Do you also have like other initiatives as a volunteer work or even like do you mentor other Namibians who are already like maybe wanting to also make an impact? How do you give back from all of these years of studying in your field and research How do you go back to support these same people? And how do they support you? Because it's not only you supporting them. How do you collaborate with them? In that regard, I um, I really take on a lot of um, mentor, kind of mentorship um, um, relationships. Um, but this has really been with a lot of colleagues, right? A lot of people that we work with or uh, that I worked with in the office of um, the Auditor General. This is in terms of career growth, right? Because once you've, you have, you know, have accomplished certain things in life, people tend to, to, to naturally, and I think this really came naturally, to naturally just look up to you for certain advice, you know, for certain, uh, for certain direction. And I would really say that I, I caught myself in a situation where people would, you know, when they are called for an interview, for example, I, I think last week, a colleague called me, they were invited for an interview and they called me to say, well, Elizabeth, um, please guide me, right? Wow. Um, I'm, I'm attending this interview, you know, what advice will you share with me and what are some of the questions that I, that I, that I should, that I should expect To, to be to be asked and you know how should I respond to this question so yes uh, with what I have really gathered through my experience and also the fact that um, I would actually link people to to positions you know I look at a person's character like in terms of who they are what qualifications they they have what are some of their strengths right and then I'll say well there's a position at this uh, organization Uh, you know, how about you apply? Because I've already accessed them. And then I say, well, I think this aligns very well with what you do. So I think in terms of giving back on, the, on a very small scale, I would say I, would, I have really been giving back in terms of um, mentoring, um, mentoring others. So Elizabeth, it looks like not only you are an amazing Uh, performance auditor, but you can also work in human resources, by the way, because of the way that you look at people and you can find their strengths or even like their, um, what they can be good at depending on their uh, character and what they have as knowledge. I, I find it quite um, amazing Um, for you to to be able to support other people in in that capacity. So last time that we talked, we you were saying that sometimes also what we have in the community are young people who are very qualified and who can, um, you know, like be part of the workforce and do amazing things. But sometimes they undervalue themselves just because 
um, the people who are at the head of maybe organization or important sectors are mostly older. How do you think that in your generation, like I know that you're already like mentoring young people. Do you think that there is like a work on self-esteem that can also be done when it comes to uh, young professionals in Namibia? Well, yeah, um, self-esteem could be one element that could really be used to boost people's confidence, especially the youth. But I think it, it has to do a lot with really just um, gaining trust, right? Um, in this, in this um, leadership, whatever, be it at an institutional level or at national level, government level. So I think if we are able to maybe first, people are able first to regain their, their trust in, in the leadership people are able to take on more opportunities because it appears to be a situation of a person would not apply for whatever would be um, an employment position or whatever position or they will not apply just because they think or they believe that, well, you know, those that are within the circle of the leadership or those that are known Uh, to the leadership would obviously, um, you know, get the position, of course, of based on association and not um, nece necessarily a merit, right? So I think it's an issue of trust that people have lost in the leadership that really need to be retained. I love that answer. And going back to auditing and how how many women are in auditing in Namibia? in the youth uh, sector, do you have an estimate or is not really a career that people think about? Well, Beatrice, I should say that's quite an interesting, I actually thought about it today, right? I was thinking to myself, uh, just within the office of the Auditor General that, that I worked in, like how many females do we have? Yes. But if I can just do a rough, a rough count, right? Uh, which Would, would not necessarily be representative of the entire population. It's more women than men, and most of them are actually useful. So most of them are actually younger than the age of 35. So yes, wow. there are actually a lot of women um, in, in, in public sector auditing. And very interestingly is that a lot of them are now, you know, um, taking on these... Um, professionalization right where now they see the working towards becoming a CAs right chartered accountants yeah um, and a lot of them actually that have from the office of the auditor general which is a public institution we have seen really a great number of young females that have taken on um contracts with um private auditing firms, you know, to pursue the, the CA uh, professional route. So yes, this is quite um, woman and quite useful, which is for me very, um, very promising. It's so nice to see the representation of so of young women in this in this sector and uh, under the age of 35 as well. That's that's very impressive. Well We loved hearing everything that you 
worked on, everything that you've touched on and how you've been supporting your community and how they support you. Would you tell us a little bit more about your experience in Canada? Um, how was your support? Uh, how was your social support? Was it difficult to be far away from your country, your family and the education system? What was different or similar, if you could tell us more about that? Let me begin from my, um, the education system, like the education system in, in Canada. Yes. Well, it's, 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 a, it's, a great, um, it's a great system. And I think if I should really mention, COVID-19 uh, has really uh, just shown how, how fortunate you know, certain societies or certain systems are in comparison to others. Because if we have to see now, my country, for example, people transitioning all of a sudden to online, online learning, it was chaos, right? Even institutions, higher learning, higher learning institutions and universities, they couldn't really manage this online, you know, the new normal of um, online learning. It's still something that they are still trying to navigate. But if you look at, for example, the education system, and I'll particularly speak with regard to the Ryzen University, where I studied, already um, when I was there, when there was no pandemic, you already had online learning, right? Because you were already engaging with others on online platforms. You know, there were already platforms like, for example, the D2O, Desire to Learn platform, which is an online platform, which we were already using, you know, to, to further our education, to access reading materials. You know, you, your, your materials were mostly uh, online. If there was something that you needed to read, you could actually read it from home, not necessarily go to the library in person and, and read it. And also the accessibility, right? Internet connectivity. Um, you had it easily accessible. So that makes education even more, you know, um, more accessible comparing to, to my own country where we had a lot of, we really have a lot of problems. ICT infrastructure is an issue here. Um, issues of um, students just do not have access to tablets. They don't have access to laptops. So even if you, you bring them in, a, in an area where they have internet connectivity, a number of them will not have laptops. How will they access the, the reading materials, right? So for me, the education system in Canada is very well set up to really flourish in whatever situation, be it in person or in class teaching or online teaching. It's, it's, it's quite good. Social support. I really come from a very intense social-oriented, social cohesion community. Um, um, society if I would put it where you you don't really you don't go through an issue on your own unless you choose to right so you have mm. you 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 have your immediate and extended family plus friends plus neighbor in fact you have the community you know together right so coming to Canada was a really a huge transition because you don't necessarily have that social support right you have you you, you know you have access to all these nice things, you have access to uh, communication uh, platforms, internet accessibility, and all these kind of you know nice things. But you lack social support. You lack you know it's just somebody that you could um, you could talk to. For me, it was very difficult because um, I I I had to leave my at that time 
two-year-old toddler at home, right here in Namibia, I couldn't take care with. So that was very, very difficult because how do I concentrate on my studies when I have a child back at home, right? And the con- and also the communication between Namibia and Canada was also not good, of course, due to our own technological disadvantagement here. Yeah. So the social support was for me really lacking because you you know you want to be you, you want to 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 be part of a social a social cohesion, you know, social setup where you have, you know, people that you can talk to, people that you can mingle with, people that, you know, that can help you. For a person like me who takes time to adapt to situation, it was a little bit difficult because it took me a while to really adapt to really first, I need to, I needed to observe and, and study the environment which I found myself in and then to determine how was I going to navigate this new social system yeah exactly so be, because uh you you came here and you had that uh experience um studying in canada would you if you had to do it again would you come back or would you what would you change if there was something to change if i would have to come back i will come back because now i know right now I've experienced the Canadian system. I can navigate it. I can come back. But if you ask me and say, will you, for example, go and study in a in another Western country, which uh, I've I haven't studied before, I might just be a little bit hesitant, right? But with the Canadian one, I have experienced. If there's anything really that I can I can really improve, I think social support right so yes at least programs whatever programs should be designed to actually include some form of social support at least um for example if if it's the same program the let program at least allows scholars time to go back home right when it's when it's holiday right give them a week or two to go back home and and if possible, um, work on, on a financing plan to see how will we finance. Because I also, I also understand it's actually an additional cost to the funders, right? But you also do not want to have a scholar who is who is there but is not socially functioning, right? Because you, you need that, you need that social support to keep going. And if you do not have it at many a times, you keep asking yourself, should I just pack my bags and quit? So you mm-hmm. don't want you don't want somebody to quit because already the cost will be higher in somebody quitting than you actually saying, well, let's work on a funding plan and see how we can maybe support the scholars to maybe return back home. So I think really is to really allow um, some flexibility really to allow social support we, we you know some some programs allow for a dependent that a scholar can bring along a dependent yes you know um well it, it depends on of course on funding arrangements and the possible and how possible some of these things are right but if the scholar can go back home or if possible a scholar can get a visit you know um if they can allow a visit of a family member. But for me, I think if a scholar can just go back and visit, that would be that would be best. Right. That would really be best. I think really that's really one thing that I would really, really improve. Yes. 
so that the person can really succeed in the plan of studying and feeling part of a group instead of feeling maybe alone and by himself. Yeah, um, because in, in, in many times I felt that. I felt not that I was isolated, but I felt as much as I made friends, well, socially, we aren't the same, right? We, we don't share the same background. And of course, it's diversity. And we are trying to, you know, uh, promote the issues of diversity, inclusivity. But there are certain issues, how should I say, that are just unique. And they should just be treated as such. It's not that everything, because we're now speaking diversity and inclusivity, that, you know, you, you know, you now just have to find your way through various different kind of social system. No, you still need your own support system to be part of the new system that you um that you are leading or that you are part of. Absolutely. Elizabeth, to conclude, if is there anything, is there a message that you would like to share with your fellow Namibian youth? Uh, you as an African leader, is there a couple of words that you have for them, maybe words of wisdom or encouragement? Uh, Beatrice, I think the only thing that I want to say is that um, change, yeah? change is inevitable and it will happen um, whether we like it or not, right? And I think COVID, I'll, I'll still make example of COVID. COVID just came and it changed our way of life, whether we are prepared or not, whether we are ready for it or not, whether we, we really wanted it or not, or whether we appreciate our new normal now or not, COVID came. And so when it comes to really um, prospering, we, we should be able to really understand that we need to be making those small changes. We need to be flexible. So the youth of the youth, the Namibian youth specifically, I would want to say, well, we are really at the, at the juncture where now we feel like government or the governing system really doesn't do it for us anymore. And we feel like we want a more useful leadership to take over, right? But we need also to demonstrate that we have what it takes to take on that leadership as the next generation of leaders. So, and I should actually mention in the meantime, while change is taking its toll, like it is happening every day, there's something new, something, something new or something that is changing. While that is happening, let us equip ourselves with the necessary skills, right? So when tomorrow comes, we are ready to take on and we will not fail. I think that's very important that we are not going to fail as, um, as, as um, some of our current leaders have. Because if we sit now and all we do is critique the current leadership and not really empowering ourselves, we're not doing any good or justice to ourselves because when our time comes, will we have what it takes, you know, to propel further? So for me, it's really equip ourselves, skills development, let us empower ourselves and let us grab opportunities out there. We only then are we really able to say we are fostering a great uh, future leadership of Namibia. I love that. I love the answer. It was so nice talking to you today, Elizabeth. It's always a pleasure to pick your brain and just exchange about 
um, very, very important causes and to know a little bit more about uh, beautiful countries around the country, uh, the continent. Thank you so much for spending the day or this couple of, of minutes with me and talk to you very soon. Thank you for listening today. We want to thank our funders, Global Affairs Canada and the MasterCard Foundation for their financial support of this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Audio Alumni podcast series to hear new episodes. Visit us at cbie.ca for more information 